Please join me in a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we come before you on this special day, the day that you have ordained as a day of rest, when we lay aside our labors and we focus entirely on you. We are so grateful that we can come before your presence this day to see your face. We can learn of you, learn more of you, and that we might be able to apply these things to our lives, that we can become one day a part of your kingdom if we shall remain faithful. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll bless this service, that you will open up our hearts and minds to your word, and that we will come away having grown spiritually, and that we might go out and teach others the truth of your word. This prayer and petition now we ask in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. And you may be seated. Well, it's great to have our visitors with us today. Hope you feel welcome and glad that uh, you were able to come. It's cold. Well, it's not so cold, but it's a winter day and still have snow on the ground. Uh, my wife and I missed that. We, uh, we took off for Texas earlier this past week and uh, tried to stay ahead of the storm. <laughs> and it wasn't too bad, but uh, it was a challenge because it was right on our heels. But we were glad to go down and visit with some brethren down there. It hit me one summer day when I was about 10 years old. I had never considered salvation before in the way I had that day. I wondered, did it mean rolling around on clouds in heaven, wearing wings and playing harps, or what is it? What is it? How do I get there? What is it all about? Our minister, and I had been in the church ever since I can remember, ever since I was born, I guess, never talked about salvation. And that was astounding when you think about it. The whole reason we're here on earth is to one day serve our kingdom, our king in in the kingdom of heaven, here on earth. But we were never told anything about it. So we have these capricious little, silly little uh, cartoonish ideas of what heaven is. And the minister never even broached the subject. And ironically, few clerics have any greater idea about heaven than me as a 10-year-old boy. Well, I want to talk about that today because so many people uh, just take it for granted. You know, I've been involved in many, many funeral sermons, and the people that go there are thinking about their loved one looking down, smiling from heaven. And I try to explain to them that there's a resurrection. Everyone that dies is waiting that resurrection has gone nowhere. He's asleep, the Bible says, over and over again. He's asleep in death. But one day has the hope of being with Yahshua after the resurrection. Well, for most, it all ends in the proverbial pearly gates. Get by Peter and you're home free. For millennia, the biblical teaching about the afterlife has been ignored. Could it be because if the kingdom were taught, the access to the kingdom would fly right directly in face of most major doctrines? We'll get into that in a minute. To live for eternity in Yahweh's kingdom should exceed all other goals in our life. Nothing is more important. That's why we're here. That's why we're given life. 
for a greater life to come. This is just, as I said this week, I said, this is just the start. Death is just the start, not the end. Yahweh's kingdom should exceed all other goals in our life. The big question is, how do we find everlasting life? The average person has little knowledge about key teachings of scripture anyway. He has no understanding that the Sabbath is the seventh day. He has no clue or really doesn't take to heart, more and more our understanding, the Heavenly Father and Son's real names. They don't even think about it. They're not even told. But it's becoming more and more known. I was watching, uh, uh, you ever watch uh, Fox and Friends in the morning, and one of their correspondents had just gotten back from Jerusalem. And he said, I got a tattoo. And the other, other one, the other one says, well, what is it? He says, it's Yahweh. And he says, what's that? And then he blew the whole thing. He said, it's the name of J-E-S-U-S. I guess if you're Trinitarian, you can kind of fit that one in. But uh, anyway, at least the name got out there, you know. The prophet Amos in 8.11 told of our day when he said, Behold, the days come, says my sovereign Yahweh, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh. We're right in the middle of that famine, brethren. We're not hearing the word. Virtually anywhere you go, you never hear the word. Teaching the true biblical way of life is a command of scripture, but you never hear anything about it. Biblical instruction itself is becoming a rarity. The meat of the word is being replaced by zero nutrition cotton candy. Churches, are, be- sadly, are becoming nothing more than social clubs. The people, through no fault of their own, are oblivious to the truths of Scripture in- for most part. It's just meet and greet, take a seat, and we'll get you out of here so you can go home in a half hour or so and uh, clean a garage or go to the ball game or go to the mall or take in a movie. But you've fulfilled your half-hour obligation this week. Many preach the health, wealth, prosperity angle, or they go the Martin Luther faith alone route, or the ecumenical path of don't sweat it, all roads to lead to, lead to salvation anyway. That's where most people are, one of those. And again, it's because they're not being taught. Second Timothy 4 Two tells ministers to preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and that hated word, doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. That's all it means is teaching. Well, we take that charge seriously here. You know, the New Testament is about how to live the precepts based in the Old Testament. Yahshua came to live it because the religious leaders had it all messed up. They were all concerned about their minutia, their added laws. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Yasha comes along and says, here, we're going to rightly divide here. We're going to show you how to live those precepts in the Old Testament. Not man-made teachings, Old Testament law. Well, the New Testament is all about living the precepts taught by Yahshua. That's fundamental. And when you give up the fundamentals, you have nothing to stand on. No wonder they don't preach the word. They've given up the fundamentals. Well, not everybody, but for the most part, that's what we're seeing in the denominational worship. You know, not only was the Old Testament Yahshua's teaching text, because there was no other Bible, 
than the Old Testament. The new one hadn't been written yet. But it was also the text of the apostles and the disciples and those that came later. Paul's writings were only letters explaining some of these things. That's what they are. But they were considered scripture. Peter said so. But there are over 4,000 quotations in the New Testament of Old Testament allusions, quotations, references to the word. Old Testament references and allusions in the New Testament, in the 27 books of the New Testament. So talk about ignoring the 4,000 elephants in the room. That's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years, basically. So what about salvation? Everyone believes they're going to live for eternity, but they don't know how they get there. They don't know anything about what happens, what's required. They don't know. The first is the autopilot, guaranteed approach. Just believe and salvation is yours. That's all there is to it. It's a shoe-in. Just keep on living as you please. Don't worry about it. Another one is uh, follow church traditions. Don't bother with the scriptures. Keep warming the pew and let the pastor tell you what you believe. Leave it. Leave salvation up to the professionals. The third option for finding salvation is recognize that Yahshua is the Savior. Let him come into your heart. Just focus on who he is and not what he taught, and you'll achieve your reward. Don't overlay his life with yours trying to to emulate the model that he set for us. Don't have to worry about that. And the fourth one, the fourth conviction that I can think of, is understand that Yahshua gave his life to pay the penalty for your sin. Now it's your turn to overcome sin. So many think, well, just pray the sinner's prayer, whatever that is, and you've made it. But he says, repent of your past life of sin, transform from disobedience to a life of compliance to the word, realizing that what Yahshua taught about his father's way of life is for us, it's for you, it's for me. And then go out and teach others that. Tell them what it's all about. Because you're going to in eventually be a priest in the kingdom. You're going to be teaching all those other people that had no clue that we're not in the first resurrection, that maybe we're raised in the second resurrection for the millennial kingdom. And, you know, Isaiah 30 talked about, uh, you hear a sound behind you, a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk you in it. That's going to be you, possibly, teaching others the truth of Yahweh. They'll have instant uh, reinforcement when they do something wrong. You're going to have a name being called out, your name, and say, hey, don't go there. Don't go, don't take that, it's not yours, um, you know, and all sorts of things. Don't say those words, they're, they're wrong to say. And th- Anyway, most popular ideas and traditions fall outside of biblical teaching, and that's a, that's a sad fact, but it's true. It's true. In Matthew 19, 14, Yahshua said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come to me, for such is the kingdom. A little child is very innocent. He'll do whatever you tell him to do. He doesn't, I'm talking little child, uh, teens are a little different, but they're learning, you know. But the little child, he'll just do it, you know, go do that, go do that. 
you know, four or five years old. They usually just adhere. And that's what he meant. Be innocent and do without question what I tell you. The hard part is, is to have the humility to accept and follow what is taught. Pride is a big obstacle in our life. Human beings have pride. Let's admit it. You've got to overcome that and say, whatever you say, I will do. When it convicts, don't fight it because you're going to kick yourself later if you do. Tradition is strong. I was reading just last night a website that I sometimes go to because sometimes they have some good answers to biblical questions. But anyway, the question was, well, what about Christmas? Do I accept, uh, you know, should I honor it? Should I keep it? And the other one was, what about, uh, I heard it was part of the Saturnalia, the old Roman worship of Saturn. Tell me, what's the truth? Here's what they said. Christians readily and comfortably acknowledge that the date and some of the history of Christmas might have a connection to pagan holidays of Saturnalia and the Sol Invictus, that's honoring the sun, but the meaning of any cultural custom, including a Christmas celebration, is determined by current usage, not origin. Like a family celebrating a biblical costume party on October 31st, it's the people celebrating who decide what the celebration means. Really? Is, is, is that what happened when Israel decided to make a golden calf and, and say, this is the one that brought you out of Egypt? And say, we're worshiping Yahweh, but we're worshiping that golden calf. Oh, that, that, that exonerates them, I guess, because they decided. Yahweh says, uh-uh, <laughs> I don't accept any other worship but to me. And that golden calf is just, an idol, just, a, just a dumb idol. And so Yahweh was okay, I guess, with praying to a golden calf and saying they were worshiping Yahweh, and he allowed them to decide their worship and what it meant. Uh, but they forget about the part where Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and breaks them all over because everything they were doing was broke every one of those commandments. Let's start at the beginning in our investigation of salvation. Having two testaments in a book does not mean there are two ways to salvation. Old Testament for Jews, as they say, or Israel, and the New Testament for everybody else today. For ancient Israel, they had a way to go. For us, Yahweh had a covenant that he gave to Israel. He gives to us, too, with a little bit of tweaking. Basically, the fundamentals are still there. Still there. Ephesians 4, 5 says there is one faith. By this, you cannot divide the word into two parts, into two ways, two paths to salvation with different requirements. You know, it's time to explode the myth that's been many thousands of years of two disconnected testaments. Once you see that salvational truth begins all the way back in Genesis, then it all starts to fit together. The puzzle starts to come together. In the Old Testament, the early Israelites were constantly reminded to obey the law at Sinai. And that's fundamental teaching of Scripture, and it carries on through the New Testament as well. They were blessed when they obeyed. They were punished when they disobeyed. And that's the way Yahweh had, uh, had them follow. Ancient Israel lived or died 
on whether or not they obeyed. We read all sorts of 20,000 people died because they disobeyed Yahweh. Yahweh was so disgusted with them at one point. They said, Moses, I'm going to kill them all and start over with you. And he says, don't do that because our enemies are going to say, look, you brought us out into the wilderness just to kill us. And Yahweh, um, it says he repented. I don't know if it, maybe he was just making a statement. You know, sometimes we have to do a little hyperbole, a little overstatement to get people to get their attention. And maybe that's what he's doing. But anyway, he had a plan involved from the start. So, you know, the the new uh, covenant works the same way. It represents a code of conduct that must be followed for everlasting life. Think a minute. Salvation exists in the Old Testament. In our next edition of the Restoration Study Bible, we're going to list a lot of those passages. It's, it's in the topical reference now, but we didn't write out the, the scriptures. We're going to have everything written out. This time it's going to be a lot easier to work with. But anyway, the word salvation appears 119 times in the Old Testament. I just counted them. 119 times we find salvation. People think of the New Testament as the book of salvation. The Old Testament is just a book of works. Book of hard labor, laborious, works of obedience. Not so. Isaiah 45, 17 reads, But Israel shall be saved in Yahweh with an everlasting salvation. Everlasting salvation. Joel 2, 32, another example. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of Yahweh shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as Yahweh has said, and in the remnant whom Yahweh shall call. See, many are called. Many are called. Not everybody's called. But few are chosen because the others didn't make the cut. The prophet didn't limit deliverance to just those of the New Testament. He said, whoever shall call on the name of Yahweh, that means take in all of his truths, basically, shall find life everlasting. Yahshua said in Matthew 8, 11, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be in the kingdom along with many others today who prove faithful to the covenant promise. Surely those patriarchs were well aware of their future destiny. They had to know. Not only that, they had to know about Yahshua. Look at the Jews. Yahshua comes along and he, you know, they, he says he's the king. He, well, he didn't say. They, they said he's the king of the Jews and he said, for this reason I came. And they were already looking for a Messiah because they knew it was in the Old Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. They knew that there was a, a Messiah to come, but he wasn't the one. They're looking for another one. That's their problem. Well, these patriarchs will be in the kingdom. So they knew about the kingdom. Hebrews eleven thirteen confirms that the faithful patriarchs will see salvation realized. These all died in faith, it says, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. They knew that this life has an important goal. They knew about salvation and they looked for it. Paul wrote that the Old Testament scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. How about that? Through faith, which is in Yahshua, 2 Timothy 3.15. So we're, we're wise unto salvation in the Old Testament. Moses even wrote about the Messiah, Yahshua, our Savior himself. 
said so in John chapter 5, verse 46. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. So we have all the way back to the uh, Pentateuch, to the Torah that Yahshua was our Savior. And then he dropped the bombshell on the notion that salvation is exclusive to and possible only in the New Testament. But if you believe not his, Moses' writings, how shall you believe my words? How about that? John 5, 47. This is one amazing statement that obliterates this whole idea that there's a division between Old and New Testament. There is no real connection. Yahshua the Messiah asserts that the Old Testament is a foundation for his own teachings. He cites not just an, any Old Testament writer, but Moses himself, who transmitted Yahweh's holy statutes, gave them at Sinai. By the way, I don't know if you know, there's a... Um, my son was telling me that over in uh, Saudi Arabia, where, you know, it acts as that they, uh, the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai is in Arabia. So there's a guy who's, who's uh, got permission to go over there, and he's taken, taken tours <laughs> if you want to go see the real Mount Sinai. Um, be interesting to, we'd like to talk to this man. But anyway, uh, it's, it's an amazing statement that Yasha made. Why did no one in the Old Testament stand up and say, now, hold on, Moses, wait, 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 wait. Stop right there, you priests, just a minute, you prophets. You got it all wrong. What you're teaching is a total waste of time. Yahshua the Savior will one day come and sacrifice his life and erase all those commandments, all those statutes, all those onerous things that you're telling us we have to do. Those laws of obedience that will all be as passe as yesterday's news. Why did anybody tell them that? Why didn't they figure that out? Why didn't Yahweh tell them that? Did Yahweh just enjoy watching Israel jump through those hoops that one day would be eliminated by Yahshua's death? Think about it. Think about it from the other angle. Instead of, you know, New Testament only and work backward, think about it from that side. What about those? Did they just waste their time? Why does it say, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, all these people will have everlasting life, the patriarchs, if they didn't have everlasting life, and if they were faithful to the statutes and judgments of Yahweh. So, I guess it didn't negate, because people, oh, they, the law is so bad. I had a minister tell me that. Oh, no, 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 laws don't, laws bad. Really? Well, then why are these people who kept the law to be in the kingdom? Explain that to me. Well, they can't, because it's right there in black and white. Does Yahweh change? Not according to Malachi 3.6. I am Yahweh. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob, Israel, are not consumed. Maybe Yahweh rethought things and performed a mid-course correction and reversed what he commanded Moses and Israel and everyone else in the Old Testament to do. Maybe he just rethought things. If you believe that, then you don't serve the perfect, steadfast, and resolute Heavenly Father that doesn't change. 
and you don't believe Yahshua either. If a big change was necessary and the need to obey, why was nobody back then informed of it? Why didn't he send his son to die at the beginning of man's creation so that we're all on the same playing field, level playing field? Why didn't he do that? Why did he seem to discriminate against a whole lot of people in the Old Testament? Well, he didn't, of course, but none of this... These teachings make any sense, you see. Again, we must ask, are there really two different ways to salvation? Two different ways of living and worship that lead to salvation. One for Israel and one for the New Testament church. In fact, the two testaments are not different in regard to salvation. They preach the same basic message. They both demand obedience, and they both point to Yahshua's sacrifice for sin, and they both teach a way of life that Yahshua showed us. It's just Yahweh's, uh, his laws are just the code that he lives by, and he wants us to live by them too, so we can prepare for being in his family, to one day be priests in the kingdom of priests in his family. Yahshua said categorically in Matthew 5, 17, that he did not come to destroy the law of the prophets. In fact, He raised the bar. He said even thinking about the sin is a sin. Even thinking about committing the sin is a sin. So you got to get that out of your mind. If your mind drifts that way, get it out of your mind. By definition, if you do think that there is no law today, you must accept that lawlessness is a violation which creates sin by definition of 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever commits sin also transgresses the law. Sin is a transgression of the law. So, if you believe that there is sin, you have to believe the law. If you believe the law, you have to believe there is sin. Paul in Hebrews 9 and 10 has a solid grasp on the New Testament, New Covenant And he said nothing about eradicating obedience. He said we have the law in our hearts now. And when you put something in your heart, that's kind of a Hebrewism. It says you do it out of inner inner being, inner emotion, inner compulsion. You willingly want to do it. Not just because someone says so, not because you fear not to do it. You do it because you want to. Yahweh's plain plan of salvation harmonized perfectly. Both Testaments. The New Testament teaching of Yahshua and the apostles prove that fact over and over and over. No, we're not justified by works, but if we aren't obedient, then we sin. And sin leads to death. You see, any which way you want to angle this thing, it all comes out the same way. All comes out the same way. The scriptures say, no sinner will find salvation. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 tells us, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom. Yahweh doesn't want a bunch of sinners up with his, in his kingdom. He doesn't want that. He wants everyone to repent of sin and walk a different direction. Here's a challenge. Can you show one passage where Yahshua said, I come to teach a new way to salvation that repeals the Old Testament salvation requirements. Does he say that anywhere? 
If you can find that, I'd like to see it. I'll give you $100. I'll give you $100 if you can show me that. How about, it's got to be in there. You hear it all the time, right? You hear it from pulpits everywhere. You hear it on preachers on the radio all the time, TV all the time. Why didn't Yahshua ever say, I'm abolishing the Old Testament laws? Not only that, he magnified them. He made them more important, more key to our lives. Because he brought in the spiritual aspect of it, not just the physical. But no one's ever showed me that. I want to see it. How about where Yahshua violated the commandments and statutes as an example for all of us? Since we don't have to keep them, they say, where's his example that he violated them? Show me that one. I got another $100 I'll give you. <laughs> it, it ain't there. I mean, I've been studying the word for 45 years, and I haven't seen it yet. It ain't there. So it all boils down to the same thing. In fact, he spent a great deal of his time teaching, honoring Yahweh and his word. He quoted the Old Testament 45 times in Matthew alone. He wasn't throwing anything out. He wasn't making a division in the book. Read Matthew chapter 5. It deals far more with just the Beatitudes. He said, think not that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill, which some say, well, it means destroy. <laughs> yeah, he just contradicted himself. No, fulfill means he came to fill up, to do everything they, they demand. If you fulfill your duties... You do your duties, right? You don't do away with them. You do your duties. Not a single passage anywhere says disobedience and salvation are compatible. Where many make a false turn is that they believe Yasha's obedience replaces our need. He did it for us. That's what they believe. And any need for us to do likewise is unnecessary. But he says, however, something else. He said in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Revelation twenty two fourteen: Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life. That's at the very end of the book. There's three main passages that talk about that. Believing in Yahshua and keeping the commandments. 12, 17, 14, 12, and 22, 14. So you can have both. They're not mutually exclusive. You don't have either Yahshua and the law or the law and no Yahshua. You have them both. Pretty simple, pretty clear. But if you don't want to do it, you'll find excuses not to. In fact, if you deny the law, even your prayers become an abomination. That's what Proverbs 28, 9 says. If you don't live by... The statutes Yahweh gives us, he's not going to listen to you when you pray. Isaiah 30, verse 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of Yahweh, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us, not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Smooth things like faith alone, just believe, Yahshua did it all for you. Those are smooth things that end up nowhere. 
Paul said that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. This is Paul, Romans 7.1. Look it up. It's the standard by which we are and will be judged even by our judge, Yahshua the Messiah, says James 2.12. I think I want to get in line with my future judge, don't you? You know, when this world is finally inundated with tribulation everywhere, then you're going to see some changes in people. Deuteronomy 4.30. When you are in tribulation and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, that's us, we're the latter days, if you turn to Yahweh your Elohim and shall be obedient unto his voice, for Yahweh your Elohim is a merciful El, he will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swear unto you. That means the Old Testament covenant is still alive. It's still alive. Yahweh still honors it. Can you show one passage saying that the Old Testament patriarchs lost their salvation because they observed the law that Yahweh gave them, the statutes and judgments? Well, as we've seen, Hebrews 11 teaches the contrary, the faith chapter. So, let's see how salvation is taught in the New Testament by none other than Yahshua the Messiah. He should be our final authority. He should be the only authority uh, when, we, when it comes to our, our uh, living the right life, he expects. Maybe we can clear up some confusion. You know, understand that salvation is a process of being called and then being chosen. It doesn't happen automatically just because you die. First, you must be called by the Father. Called out. He, he, he calls a group of people. From that group, Yahshua then picks the ones he wants to serve him under him in his kingdom, along with David, who's going to be the prince. But you must be called of the Father, and then Yahshua will gather them that will have a part in his kingdom based on their worthiness. He said in John 6, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. So he's going to come back to this earth. He's going to gather his elect from around the world. And it says the Spirit will draw you. If you have the Spirit, Spirit's given at baptism, he's going to draw you like a magnet up to Yahshua. Those who are called, the Bible says, are justified, considered just. Yahweh finds something special in those he calls. Once he calls, they are repentant and are baptized. Talked to a man recently who felt a compulsion to follow the truth against all odds, against family, friends. But he had that pull. He had that spirit working within him because he was being called. The Apostle Paul wrote, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Yahshua the Messiah, the first one he's talking about, I guess, is Adam, but the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. We can't earn. Anything we do, we can't earn salvation. Don't get me wrong. The Bible teaches we, it's nothing we can do. It's a gift. But... All right, this is the season of giving, you know. So people have their lists, 
you know, you hear it all the time on advertising. I get get that person on your list, you know, list, list, list. So does that mean you go out to the street and start handing out gifts? No, you have a list, a list that you, I'm not advocating this holiday. Believe me, but I'm just trying to show you something. You have a list of people that you feel worthy of your gift, right? So you, you have those people. And that's what he's talking about here. You have, he has a called out people on his list that he calls and justifies saying, okay, I'll overlook your sin and I'll call you to be part of my kingdom. That means then you become sanctified, which means set apart. Then you start living differently. You live a different life from that point on. Justification is free. Sanctification is our worthiness. That's a biblical, clear biblical teaching. So the apostle wrote, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came by the righteousness of another, that's Yahshua, came this gift of justification of life. If a gift is given in exchange for something, then it's no longer a gift. You hear in advertisements, again, get your free gift. Well, if it's free, it's redundant. If you have to earn it, it's not a gift. See what I'm saying? Free gift is a redundancy. A gift is free. How redundant? If a gift isn't free, then it's not a gift. Nothing can merit justification in Yahweh's eyes. Paul says, it is the Father's prerogative to call justify whomever he wants. He's the one that's calling this pool of people. He decides to wipe the slate of your life in its sinful ways clean and then expect something of you. Just as if you had no sin. And that's what justification signifies. Does that mean you are justified for everlasting life? Guaranteed? Well, justification is not all there is because it doesn't, justification doesn't mean chosen. It just singles you out in calling to salvation. Those sins we all have removed, if we're justified, don't impede us anymore, you see. Now it's up to us to live up to our calling. Titus 3 7 reads that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It doesn't mean guaranteed, see? We have the hope of eternal life. We can't say we are saved until we are saved. Paul said, see, Paul says, I keep my body under subjection lest I myself, after I preached all these things, can be a castaway. He can goof it all up at the end, he says. If I'm an heir, then I have inheritance pending, but I don't have it in hand yet. Yahweh saw something in you that he can use. And so he called you as a candidate for everlasting life. Yahweh has a position of priesthood open in his coming kingdom. He's the employer that calls the job applicant back for a second interview. He wants to learn more about you. Just as a prospective employee asks diagnostic questions. Yahweh allows you to be tested in many different ways to see if you are worthy of the calling. 
That is what takes place during the rest of your called out life. That's what we're living for. We've been called out. We want to show him that we have a desire to live for him. It's a testing of your fitness and worthiness to serve in his kingdom. And that's what is known as sanctification, setting apart. Sanctification, uh, it just means you're now going to live for him. You want to be part of his family. Can you imagine a family with a totally delinquent child? Is he welcome in his what he his rebellion? No, he's constantly, constantly, constantly being chastised, disciplined, because he's not living the life of that family. He's not living according to what that family stands for. He's blotching their name because he's delinquent. Not a happy time. We don't want to blotch his name, the name by which we are called either. Many are called, few are chosen. Why aren't all who are called and justified automatically rewarded salvation? Simply because they have yet to be proven. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Messiah, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk worthy. Rewards are granted based on worthiness. Revelation 20.13 reads, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Now this is the Asha's return and the resurrection. And death and the grave delivered up dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. So there is something we need to do. We're going to be judged by what we do because what you do is what you are. You can talk a good line. Everybody can do that. But what you do when nobody's looking even is what you are. Rewards are based on worthiness. A new model car is put through all kinds of real world computer tests to make sure it's worthy of the uh, of the brand, or make make sure it's uh, ready to roll. A computer may show that the car is A1 for all conditions, but only the rubber on the road proves it. Out in the real world, that's what makes it worthy as uh, to to hold the uh, to have the uh, brand make of that car. If it has some flaws, then it needs to be worked out before it is worthy to bear the brand. Yahweh needs real-world proof of our hearts. Do we really desire him? Do we accept his calling and perfect our lives according to the alignment of his word? That's what it's all about. Do we put him first in everything? Yahshua said in Matthew 5.48, Be or become Therefore, perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We strive for perfection. We aren't there yet. Nobody is. But that's our goal. And he sees us striving. He sees what's really in our heart. That says we got some work to do if we're not living the right life on the proving ground. Yahweh wants to see results, not lip service. Excuse me. He's selecting members for his coming kingdom, family members. He wants to see submissive and dedicated hearts. That's what he wants. In Philippians 2.12, Paul wrote, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Oh, here comes Paul. We better shape up. 
but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yasha was emphatic in Matthew 5.20 on this subject, on our righteousness, that it must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, or we will in no case enter the kingdom. You can't outdo a Pharisee when it comes to the law. He's got it down to the nitty-gritty. He's got it down to the molecule. He ties a mint, anise, and coming. I mean, you, you can't sit down with a computer and see if he's done anything wrong according to the law. But he missed it. He missed the whole point and purpose. His heart was still sick. And Yasha said, they ain't going to be in the kingdom. He didn't say it that way. They're not going to be in the kingdom. Your righteousness has to exceed, to exceed theirs, which means you have to do something other than line up the molecules. You have to have a heart that gets in line with what the law is meant to do, to make us like Yahweh and his family. That's what it's all about. Why didn't he say, except your righteousness is completely different from that of the scribes and Pharisees? You know, these fellows knew the law and kept it to the letter. How can you exceed that? You do when understanding that the spiritual intent of the law has to come through to transform the heart and the mind so that we're like Yahshua. We're out there every day doing what Yahshua would do, helping others, being kind, uh, showing them what it is to be a follower of Yahweh. In all good things. This didn't happen with religious leaders. Their bloated egos got in the way. They had their own empire going. They weren't worried about Yasha's empire. They didn't want him in the way. Get rid of him. They had their own egos to make their own uh, salvation here on earth. They were puffed up with their self-righteousness. And all that mechanized obedience meant nothing produce no train transformation in their hearts. You can easily let that happen if we're not careful. We've seen it down through the ages, down through the years. We've seen it. Uh, people let go to their heads and they look down on everybody else, but they're, they're holy men. We had a guy visit the house one time. License plate said, holy man. Well, I thought that was kind of arrogant. <laughs> I wouldn't ever put that on my plate. Uh, I, I don't feel I'm holy. But anyway... We find the answer of how salvation works in one of Yahshua's key parables, which is a real eye-opener if you still have trouble grasping it. In his parable, seeds uh, are sown everywhere. They represent his message of truth, just non-discriminately you know, thrown all over the place. Some have no use for it, have no use for the scriptures. Others, however, eagerly respond to the calling and teachings of the word. Without a teaching to follow, you're just a ship without a rudder. You, you have to follow something or you just drift along, going around in circles. Most are going around in circles today. It's sad. It's sad to see it. Really no hope. Suicides are going through the roof. I don't know if you saw the news. It's, and especially among school kids, high school kids. It's sad but they're not being brought up in the nurture and admonition of Yahweh. Their parents have failed. And they're failing because probably their parents failed. And that's what's happening. It's sad. 
it must be a very lonely existence. In the parable, many of the new seeds sprouted, but they couldn't go beyond that. They had no root. They were on rocky ground. And they didn't produce results. Shouldn't all of them have made it? What brought them down? Why does Yahweh accept everyone he calls? Well, he doesn't. Again, calling does not mean choosing, which comes only after a life of overcoming. He that overcomes and keeps my word unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That's what Yahshua said, Revelation. So, Many are called, few are chosen. How about another salvation parable, and we'll wrap this up. Matthew 22.1, And Yahshua answered and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. This is Yahweh calling those people out to be Yahshua's bride. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. They were too caught up in their own little worldly interests. And they had no desire to heed the call. They didn't have a mind's eye that could see the, what, it's, what it's all about. They kept on living for the world, making no changes, no real repentance, little obedience. Matthew 22.8. Then said he to his servants... The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. They were called to the wedding, but were not found acceptable for everlasting life. Pretty sad. It's like Lazarus and the rich man. Rich man looks up. He can't go beyond this barrier. And he, he sees poor Lazarus who suffered all his life. And this guy basically walked all over him. Now he sees himself shut out. How awful that would be. Shut out from the kingdom. So Yahshua said, this is how the kingdom of heaven is or how salvation works. Only those called and found worthy will be the future bride of Messiah. So putting it all together, you have the called, the faithful, and the chosen. Worthy. What does it mean? Well, we already went to Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments so they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Right meaning worthy. They are worthy. It means to be found deserving. But what about passages like Mark uh, 16, 16? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be judged. What is that? Well, believe in the Greek is pistio. Pistio. It means not just to believe, but commit to. John 3.16, for Yah, uh, Yahweh so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him. That doesn't mean just have a mental adhere, acceptance, you know. Oh, I, I, I believe it in my heart. It means to commit to, commit to Yahshua, commit to his teachings, commit to his life. That's what believe means. No one ever told me that until I looked it up one time. What exactly does it mean? I realized, you know, that it goes beyond just thinking. It goes beyond just a feeling. It goes beyond just a mental acceptance. It's something you commit to, which is, you know, going all the way with it. 
take the next step and obey. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. So it has to come from the heart. Belief must produce a result. It leads to obedience, which makes righteousness. Yahshua's whole life showed how to be obedient through a whole variety of situations. He was out every day showing you how to react, showing the disciples this is what happens. And he was always out there serving people. That, that, that is the essence. Serving people, teaching people, doing for people. Not himself, but doing for others. So that's what he was doing. Why did he go through all the trouble? Simply so that we would have an example to follow that we could do the same things. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were you called, because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no guile, no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. (coughs) And then he goes on to explain a little bit. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, that judges righteously, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body and on the tree, that we, being dead in sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. In a nutshell, we must become sanctified by being found worthy for redemption. So we'll sum it up by Revelation 2.7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the assemblies. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. He told the young man, if you'll enter life, keep the commandments. Some in substance, that doesn't mean, that should mean that we just humble ourselves. It doesn't place us up any higher on the totem pole than anybody else. We just follow a different leader. We just follow one that has promise the one that can give us life everlasting. This world, for us, secondary, tertiary, I don't care, way down the line, number one is to live for Yahweh. And that's what each of us should be doing and should strive to be doing in everything. So hopefully, someday we'll reach that point of uh, being accepted when Yahshua returns, but we must not ever give up. Keep on going all the way. May Yahweh bless you.